This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, this is Pete the Planner, USA Today money columnist and host of the Ask Pete the Planner podcast. When I'm not fixing the weirdest financial situations you've ever heard of, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and have you ever asked yourself, self, could money topics be more entertaining? Good news, yes they can. Here to prove it today, we welcome the Singleton Foundation team behind a fresh new video series called Million Stories, CEO Shelly Miles and executive producer Lisa Freeberg. Plus, one big mutual fund company is kicking a management team to the curb. Who's on the way out? We'll share that. Plus, universities that are also beginning to shed staff in light of the coronavirus. And we'll still make sure to toss out the Haven Lifeline to Seth, who has a question about paying off credit card debt. And, of course, the reason you're all here, I'll share my amazing trivia. And now, two guys who made cuts to their educations a long time ago... Like nobody could tell. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. You kidding me? We're always learning down here in the basement. In fact, I'm learning that every single show, another adventure. Hey, everybody. I'm Joe Salci. I average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me, the guy who's not the fake OG on Twitter, my good friend, the real OG. That's so confusing to most people. <laughs> that you're not the fake, you're the real? The not, not the fake OG on Twitter. Yeah. It just makes your head hurt well. after a while. Of course, you know what makes my head hurt? The fact that it's actually Wednesday. Where did the first couple days of the week go? I feel like this week is flying. Just like my summer is is flying i know i uh it hasn't dawned on my kids yet they're down to 10 days baby i can't wait <laughs> cannot wait i can't believe how you've got the calendar out crossing the dates off you should have like a countdown clock like i watched last week the liftoff of nasa's mission to mars you know you got the countdown clock kids are like what's that nothing nothing <laughs> hey everybody something's not nothing is the stacker Sign up for the stacker and you can get money lessons and find out all the news coming out of the basement as it happens, as we make our way around the country at some point. Uh, last week Eventually. we had a <laughs> last week we had a fantastic introduction to Money Club with our friend Aaron Velke. We announced that first, of course, at the stacker, stackybenjamins.com forward slash stacker. Hey, we got a great show today. Shelly Miles and Lisa Freeberg. 
are with the Singleton Foundation, a foundation OG doing things a lot differently. Tell me if this resonates with you at all. They believe, this sounds crazy, they believe that the best way to get people interested in money is to make it entertaining. Where have I heard that before? It sounds misguided to me. We can tell them. I don't, I, this is kind of made up. <laughs> We've been trying to do that for almost, what, nine years? Can't be done. Can't be done. Shelly and Lisa coming down to the basement. But first, we've got uh, a couple really interesting, maybe a little bit surprising headlines. So let's get moving. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Investment News. Uh, Vanguard submits to value curse plans to fold active fund into an index. This is written by Jeff Benjamin. Do you see this? No, sir. Vanguard Group, Jeff writes, is pulling the plug on its 20-year effort to actively manage a value-focused mutual fund by asking shareholders to approve merging the $1.1 billion Vanguard U.S. Value Fund into a passive index fund. The move is music to ears of Dan Wiener, chairman and co-founder of Advisor Investments, who describes the quantitatively managed fund as a, quote, failure and a, quote, loser. The fund has been a loser and has only gotten worse since they let the in-house quantitative team take over management of it, he said. Value investing has been lagging growth investing for more than a decade, but the Vanguard Value Fund has been making matters worse by lagging a lower-cost in-house index fund, the $77.1 billion Vanguard Value Index. It seems, OG, another active mutual fund bites the dust. Except I disagree with that whole sentence there. Hey, it's been trailing growth, so let's get rid of it. It's no, supposed it, it's, to do the different thing. But it's also been trailing the value index. Well, there's that. But the main reason is because the shifting interest in in uh, new money. That's really it. Because we're at the point where after 10, 11 years of the stock market going straight up, largely due to large company growth, people are beginning to wonder, should I even have value positions? Should I even have value? So maybe that ship has sailed and I never need value again. It's growth, growth with a side of growth for dinner, please. So you're saying that even if the fund isn't keeping up with the index, if value investing were hot, there'd be enough assets that Vanguard would let it go? Yeah, absolutely they would. Yeah, I think so too. Because it's about money. Everybody says it's not. Well, they're just trying to do the right thing. No, they have a whole team of people on a whole floor of a building that all have jobs and they're only managing a billion dollars. And so most people, that's a whole bunch of money. But if you're a mutual fund company, that's that's barely the you know the level of efficacy. So especially one called Vanguard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just you know, there's a certain amount of costs associated with this. So if it was pulling in money, if value was doing better than growth for the last ten years, this thing would have ten billion dollars, and they would be talking about how they're just reshuffling the the portfolio manager or something. I think it's interesting. You know, I remember. Back in in 2000, the sign of the coming apocalypse for the stock market, the warning signs were everybody talking about how smart they were with their tech stocks and how everybody was getting out of value stocks. And of course, then value stocks went on a nice run for the next uh, several years. I'm wondering if now that we're at the point that we're looking at big uh, managers shut down some value shops, if that might mean that the tide's <laughs> the tide's turning. Is this the is this the first? The first firing? Well, I mean, the reality is that you could do this with U.S. versus international also. Like, why the heck do you have international? U.S. is kicking their pants off of international. It's because you don't know. It's because 
unless you want to play the game of guessing which stock's going to do better, you have to be okay with the alternative. There is no like in between. You're either all on the diversification train or you're all on the I'm going to trade the heck out of it and hope I'm right train. Because anything in between there is the I'm smarter than the market train. I get it. We use value stuff in our clients' portfolios. We use small companies in our client portfolios. We use international in our client portfolios. We use emerging market in our client portfolios. And it's not doing as well as S&P 500, specifically denominated by, you know, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, five U.S. tech stock companies. But the reality is, is that that could change. And it likely will. You know, I can't hold on to the thesis in my head that from now until the end of time, the only stocks that go up are Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Facebook, and Apple. Like, I just, I can't believe that that's the only thing that goes up for the next century. So you have to be diversified. It's funny. I remember people talking about that with uh, GE. GE, nothing bad can go wrong with GE. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a good point. I remember buying GE at the bottom of the financial crisis at like seven fifty a share going, look at me, Mr. Genius. Because you know what? GE never does anything except go straight up. And that was, you know, 2008-ish, something like that. Today, you would find GE trading at $6.35. And it looks like they've had a reverse stock split because I'm not sure. Nope. Nope. Yeah, it was $7 in 2009. So maybe it was uh, was $7.50 I bought it for. And uh, today it's at six thirty six, you know, because GE never goes down. It doesn't go down. It's, it's, it's General Electric, for goodness sake. I mean, come yeah. on. Yeah. Our next headline comes to us from a little publication called the New York Times. It's happening. OG, it is happening. This has been predicted by lots of people, and I think it's starting. Uh, the headline reads, as the virus deepens financial trouble, colleges turn to layoffs. University of Akron last week became one of the first schools in the country to make profound cuts in the number of full-time professors on staff others might have to follow. Uh, Hammered by mounting coronavirus costs and anticipating lost revenue from international students, fall sports and state budgets gutted by the pandemic, colleges and universities nationwide have begun eyeing what until now has been seen as a last resort, thinning the ranks of their faculty. University of Akron became one of the first schools in the country to make deep cuts in the number of full-time professors on its staff, with the Board of Trustees voting last Wednesday to lay off about a fifth, a fifth of the university's unionized workforce to balance its budget, including nearly 100 faculty members. Hmm. I'm wondering, as online learning becomes the lay of the land, we talked about this happening to universities. We talked about it maybe happening with office buildings as the climate changes for people working from home. The shift, I think, may be beginning, OG. We might be seeing some changes in higher education. Maybe not so many new buildings being built. Well, it just depends on how many billionaires want to write checks. That's that's uh, generally who builds the buildings, I think. But yeah, I, I don't have anything to add here. It's kind of a weird, weird time, especially when you think about like the workforce, how many people have finally realized that working from home is a thing or going in kind of flex scheduling works. You know, you can have productive employees. Um, the question is whether or not you can have productive students, as evidenced by a pair of fifth and seventh graders. Uh, it's rather difficult, <laughs> you know, to keep them working but, from uh, home. Yeah, but uh, I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I think that from an education standpoint, wouldn't it be great if you could find the best person for the course that you're trying to do? 
Like instead of instead of saying, well, I went to the Citadel, get it? The Citadel? I was making some commonality to did, tell this story. Did you go there? No, but you did. So that was the commonality part. Oh, oh, I get so it. I got to yes. lay it on. You're building bridges as yes, we sit sir. here talking. Yes, yep, correct. It's commonality, shared experience, even though we didn't have one. Anyway, so you go to college. And so, you know, you want to be an engineer, so you go to MIT. And MIT has great engineering courses, but maybe really crappy philosophy courses. You know, they just don't attract the best and brightest for that, you know, general course, maybe there. So wouldn't it be great if you had to take a humanities course, part of your degree, you could find the best person that's out there to teach it. And then that count for your degree in whatever. Just get your degree from... It doesn't always have to be in the same place. Just get your degree from anywhere. Yeah, or it's just accumulation of things, right? You have to accumulate 120 credits in these, the, you know, these types of courses. And if you want to do statistics, the best stats person's at Stanford and, you know, charge whatever they want to charge, right? But if you want to take it, you can write the check. You're talking yeah. about like unbundling cable, but with higher education. Well, I don't know. And now and I have... one day somebody will put it all together. That's the, that's the latest <laughs> thing with cable. You for... know all those subscriptions you pay for? For the low, low price of ninety nine ninety nine a month, we can pull them all together and you get one thing and you can watch it all on that. It is amazing. We're going to call it Dish TV 2.0. Direct. <laughs> the unbundling, unbundling of higher education and then rebundling. You actually make a good point, though, because I think that when it comes to uh, higher education, we often think about the degree, but we don't think about creating a curriculum for ourselves. And I think the exciting part of what you talk, you're talking about, imagine how intensely interested in creating your curriculum you would be if you could unbundle it, take a class from this place, a class from this place. And yet what's funny is we can actually do that if we're more concerned with education than we are with the piece of paper. Yeah. Well, but everybody's concerned with the piece of paper. So. Sure. It'll be interesting to see big changes, I think, coming to higher education. There's other uh, universities that have uh, started trimming professors, uh, University of Texas, San Antonio laid off 69 instructors, University of Michigan Flint eliminated more than 40% of the 300 lecturers who handled majority of the teaching load on campus. Uh, since May, Ohio universities had three rounds of layoff, including more than 50 non-unionized faculty members. Scott Galloway, one of the people predicting this, saying that, you know, you've got Harvard University OG charging a bundle of money and saying that they're going to do it online and not changing the amount that a student pays. He said, if you're on the waiting list of Harvard University, it's a great year to be on the waiting list because there's going to be people that go, the value proposition isn't there anymore. So they're yeah. not going to go. So the next tier of universities, like the top state schools then, lose out on some people because they're going to Harvard instead, meaning then it's a great time to be on the University of Texas waiting list and the schools that hurt are the smaller schools around the around the country? That was Galloway's prediction. We'll see. Uh, we'll see if that comes true. Well, maybe but. it ends up being nothing, and in six months from now, everybody's back to school, and they hire everybody back, and they keep building buildings, and the status quo returns. Do you think that's going to happen with the online classes that we've had? I think that the uh, consortium of educators, there's a little tinfoil hat coming. Just so you know, I think that everybody's going to realize that. If they don't all quietly band together, then yes, it will happen. But the money will just will figure out like, wait a second, if we all just charge the same, regardless of what we're actually, you know, our current rates are, if you want to go to University of Texas, some classes are online, some classes are in person, whatever, here's your rate. It just is what it is. 
I think that's what's going to happen. So you're saying you might see cost structure changes? Nope. I think it's going to be the exact same. Exact same as it is now. Yep. We'll see. I can't wait to put that one in Lens Magic 8 Ball at the end of the year. <laughs> That'll be, be great. We got we to gotta remember that one. But I think that is... Uh, I think that is number one. I I actually agree more with Galloway. I think that we are going to see changes in higher education. I think that we're going to see changes coming. I think the building boom might be um, might be slowing down a little bit. I think though, lesson number one is that uh, the only thing we can count on is change. And lesson number two is value versus growth. Stay diversified, my friends. One asset class doesn't win forever. Speaking of education, I'm so happy that we get to talk to our next guest. Shelly Miles is the CEO of the Singleton Foundation for Financial Literacy and Entrepreneurship. She's leading the charge to help inspire, entertain, and transform money talk from boring and taboo to something compelling and socially relevant. Man, does that sound awesome. She's been involved not only in the area of philanthropy for a long time, OG, but she's also been involved in the entertainment industry going back to the early 1980s when she was with one company called the Walt Disney Company. She's been with Walt Disney, U.S. Animation, KPMG, Mommy and Me, Donate My Card, Revisit, and more. And joining her on My Dad Shortwave is the executive producer of a series that they've launched, which, which I can't wait to talk to her about the making of this series. Because if you like people like Glozell and Richard Sherman, among others, if you're looking for a good way to get your friends interested in money nerdery, Million Stories Project is a series of shows all about money, but all coming at the topic of money from different places. Uh, Lisa Freeberg, the executive producer, who's worked on many projects herself, notably comes to the Singleton Foundation from a little company called DreamWorks. Not sure if you've ever heard of that one, OG. I have a uh, original DreamWorks stock certificate on my wall. They sold. They, they sold their company. But, yeah. Uh, they yeah. got the stock still. So without further ado, let's talk to the CEO of Singleton Foundation, Shelly Miles, and the executive producer of the Singleton Foundation produced Million Stories series of shows, Shelly Miles and Lisa Freeberg. And on my shortwave radio, it's my new friends, Shelly Miles and Lisa Freeberg. How are you, ladies? Hey, Joe. Thanks so much for having us on the show today. Well, I'm so glad that you two could join us. I, th I think, Shelly, I'll start with you. Talk to me first, I guess, for you, the Singleton Foundation, why it's important, how you got involved, and um, uh, about the organization. Well, the Singleton Foundation is important. As you know, half of Americans can't even answer some basic financial questions. And as our founders, Will and Carrie Singleton, uh, started this, you know, they really saw how financial literacy and entrepreneurship tie hand in hand together. And the idea is, is if you can learn how to run your life like a CEO and really lead your life, then you're going to learn the financial skills that you need in order to be able to plan your future with a lot of confidence. And you're also going to want to run it like a business and use all your entrepreneurial skills to problem solve and be curious and, and really look at what are the solutions 
risks and opportunities for your life. And so we think these are skills that for the future that people really need, especially nowadays. So it, it, it is funny you say that because back when I was a financial planner, Shelley, which was a long time ago, I used to tell people that you wanted to think about your life as if you're a CFO, because I feel like people, people go to work all day and they make great they make great decisions for the company and then they go home and they make all these emotional, horrible decisions for themselves. And if you switch that around just a little, I'm not saying give less to the company, maybe it's going to be better. Well, that's actually really our philosophy. So, you know, the foundation has a few different programs that try to really lean into that philosophy. So we were built about making this entertaining and fun and accessible to everybody um, because we figure if you don't want to learn it or if you don't know why you need to learn it, you know, you're not going to take the time. And, and it's so important to us that people gain these skills with especially with the millennial generation. And you look at how, you know, they got hit in 2008 and now with the covid crisis, they're getting hit now and they're all going to live a really long time. A lot of the jobs that they might go after haven't even been invented yet. You know, I think 90 percent I've heard is the statistics for 2030. And there's no no such thing as a corporate fixed benefit pension anymore. So it's really important that people learn how to do these things for themselves and take responsibility. And, you know, it doesn't have to be hard or boring or anything. How did you get involved with the Singleton Foundation? What's your story, Shelley? Well, you know, I just had a long and varied and all kinds of crazy career, uh, everything from big corporations to startups. And I kind of got into a point in my life where I really love the nonprofit world. I've been involved in a number of charities. And I was approached by actually an old boss of mine who knew the Singletons, and they were so passionate about this. And I went over to talk to them, and I started thinking about my own kids and how much I wanted this for my kids and that I probably hadn't done a very good job teaching it to them myself. And so the mission really spoke to me. Uh, So I joined and because they were interested in entertainment and at the time their first idea was a video game or some kind of competition. And I had a lot of that in my background. It seemed like a great opportunity to do something great for people and for my family and have a lot of fun doing it. And, you know, it's a very important mission. I want to ask you about that because you and I have seen a lot of foundations. We've seen a lot of foundations that deal with financial literacy. Most of them try to hit very, very hard. They try to have these very deep conversations. While you guys are very interested, I mean, intensely interested in financial literacy, you're taking this whole different tack. Where does that come? Does that come specifically from you, from the singletons? Where did that come from initially? Well, you know, the singletons have an idea about entertainment and The first thing I did when I got there was start to look at what was out there. So we looked at lots and lots of programs. One of the things we noticed is that people weren't using a lot of the information that's available. Like there's enough financial literacy curriculum that you could stack it to the moon and back. And when we started looking at videos in particular, we saw, you know, this one from a really great academic institution has like 3,000 views in nine years. And then, you know, we saw one from a bank that's really well funded and it had like 12 million views in three years. And then we were looking at a cat video and it had 58 million views in less than a year. So we thought there might be something there. And, you know, we realized that people want to watch entertainment. They like to have fun. How do we bring them in? You know, you 
you can have all the curricula in the world, but if nobody's using it, what good is it? So we thought that our sweet spot would be engagement. And so we really went for that. And we had a lot of hunches about this. And so then we went and teamed up with a great academic institution, uh, GFLEC over at George Washington University to kind of see if our hunches were right. Um, and what we discovered in doing the research is that, you know, there's a lot of reasons people don't use the materials that are out there. One, they don't know what to trust. Two, yeah, it seems like it's boring. It seems like it's complicated. And, you know, and there's a taboo about talking about money in society. And so we really wanted to take the approach of how do we crack through that and get people engaged so they can learn the material and get the skills that they need. I want to introduce the other person who's on uh, the shortwave with us here in a second. But as, a, as an introduction, Shelley, let's play a result of your work so far. A bunch of your videos collectively you call a million stories. We'll get into million stories here in a second. But let's play a trailer of what Million Stories is all about. Half of the American workforce are millennials, but two-thirds of us are living paycheck to paycheck. A lot of what we learned was on YouTube. The economy failed. The coal mine shut down. My name is Jason Howes. I run a food truck. My name is Devin Reimer. Started making games. This is American Paycheck. How much I talk to my son about money. Not as much as I should. Nobody teaches you about money in school. Everything goes to my kids, my money, my time, my body, my emotions. Thing is, though, there's no instruction manual for parenting. Hello, this is Lozell. Peter Ramsey. India Kinney Stern. Nancy Liu. I was named Forbes 30 Under 30. I'm one of the directors of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I'm a veteran motion picture stuntman. A three-time Olympic medalist. People were leaving out of my life. I had no job. Epic flop. This is my face plan. Everybody bring it in. This is how we're going to attack your student loan debt. Step one, know exactly how much you owe. This side built your credit. All right, guys, cards aren't bad if you use them responsibly. You're adulting now. Adult! My name is George Igo, and with some research, planning, and a little creativity, I find the best things to do in a city, all without spending more than $100. This is George Goes Everywhere. I'm Danelle Leva. I'm Nancy Liu. I'm Peter Ramsey. I'm Richard Sherman. You better be watching Million Stories now. Watch Million Stories now. I mean, I'm on it, so. <laughs> I mean, I'm on it. And just the way Glozell talks, by the way, makes me laugh every time. Lisa Freeberg, who is executive producer of uh, Million Stories, also joins us. Lisa, tell me about you getting involved. I'd, I could just imagine you're driving down the road one day and maybe somebody like, Shelly calls you up and she's like, hey, I've got this financial series I want to do. And you're thinking, man, how boring. <laughs> Joe, you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> a, how boring. B, a very odd philanthropy. I mean, this tells you how much I really was so clueless about the subject of financial literacy and how very, very important it is to so many areas of our lives. Uh, yeah, it was definitely a creative challenge. Yeah. So how did you end up getting involved? I know in my head, that's what happened, but tell me what really happened. 
Okay, so what really happened is Shelly, as she said, spent uh, quite a bit of time really looking into where are the roadblocks for people engaging. Uh, She brought on Michael Albright, who is a person on our team who helped to assemble the group and has worked alongside Shelly to create the concept for Million Stories, this channel using entertainment to tackle this rather boring subject. And then Michael brought me in and Michael and I were just, uh, he he knew me from the past. Uh, he knew my background in entertainment and also in advertising. So my road, like Shelley's, has been a bit of a winding road, like many, many careers. So for me, it was that perfect melding of, you know, in advertising, there's always a mission. There's something you're trying to sell creatively. And then from entertainment, my years at DreamWorks, it's all about storytelling. So the opportunity to really marry all of that with something that's so important was a great creative challenge, as well as I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to use my skill set to cast the net to creative content creators I know to, you know, make a difference, hopefully. Can we talk about how some of these series are made? I would love, Lisa, to talk about Faceplant first, mostly because... In my experience, most people just want to brag about their money. And faceplant is this beautiful thing about these people, people falling on their face, people not doing the right thing. And it feels so open and fresh and different. Tell me where that series came from. You know, Shelley mentioned the study that we did with George Washington University. And for me as a storyteller, it's always great to have the villain. And in this case, our villain is the taboo of talking about money. And um, so for us, we really recognized that that was really the veil that we wanted to pierce through for all of our content. So at a very basic level, it's breaking through the taboo of talking about money. And we were so fortunate to be able to get these notable people, people who have had high levels of success that were willing to talk about the real value of failure on your road to success. And I so appreciate you, Joe, pointing that out that we all kind of, especially today in social media, people are so focused on the Pinterest world and pretending like, you know, it's beautiful. I live in the mansion and look at my gorgeous food instead of like, I'm having some, you know, beans and weenies for dinner. Uh, So the face plant, you know, having Glozell, Peter Ramsey, who's an Academy Award winning director, Nancy Liu, who literally started a business and was asked to step down as a CEO by people who were her friends uh, and, you know, her recovery from that. So we just saw the value of kind of breaking the taboo. So that's one brand that you have in a million stories. How many are there in total? We have six different shows. Is that right, Shelly? Six. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it was a whirlwind. We made this content in literally six months' time. <laughs> it is amazing. So on that note, because it all just looks so compelling, it's like uh, uh, Netflix for money nerds. It, it just, you know, I've got so many different things I can grab onto. Did you dream up all six shows then at the same time? 
We did. So what we did, the process was really fun. Uh, and I have to say, Shelly and the, you know, the Singletons were like the perfect executives of a studio that every content creators dream, you know, very collaborative. What we did was we first came up, our little internal team came up with ideas. So I just like worked with the team to think of ideas of shows that we that might resonate with us. And then we put together a team of our target audience initially for Million Stories as Millennials. So we brought together various groups of millennial creators and we did a work session with them just brainstorming on what are your passion points? What are the things that really resonate with you? So we worked our way backwards in the same way you say with money, you should work towards what your end goal and kind of work backwards to that. Creatively, with a you know, when you're trying to create something that has an objective, a takeaway, then we really thought first, what are the things that are relevant to our audience? And then let's find a creative way to get there. So we had this probably a room of 25 different creators. I shared with them my ideas. I'm not a millennial, although I'm trying to start a movement, hashtag age neutral. (laughs) Maybe you could help me do that. I need to be part of that too. (laughs) I totally need to be part of that. Yeah. So we got the people who are literally the millennials and uh, they kind of riffed on our ideas. And then literally all of these shows with so cool For example, American Paycheck is a show that a 21-year-old and 24-year-old creators, you know, kids fresh out of film school in the University of Texas came up with that show idea. The show, uh, But But did they, let's stop at that. Did they pitch you? Did you go find them? Like, how did you find them? I just started reaching out literally to people I know. So I reached out to filmmakers I know. I reached out to people in film school that I know. I literally thought, okay, how do I, you know, it's the six degrees of separation of how am I going to go find these young filmmakers with a different point of view? So for me, it was very important. And Shelly and the rest of the team, we really knew we want something that's going to be outside of our bubble of Los Angeles. So we really cast a wide net of creators from around the country that might have a different point of view. And and for us, it was very important that our stories were authentic and they really touched a wide swath of people. And I want to get back to Milk Money a second, but I have a very important question that I know a lot of people are asking. And I don't know if it was you, Shelley, you, Lisa, how the heck did you get Richard Sherman involved? We asked him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that show, um, uh, Adulting with Richard Sherman, again, this is the value of us going to the young content creators. Shelley said to us from the beginning, one of our missions is to make being financially literate cool. So we were like, well, who are the cool people talking about being financially literate? Well, Richard Sherman's like, seriously, one of the coolest people ever. So that was kind of the edict. How can we talk about this with someone who is really going to resonate with our audience and make it cool? And Richard is just, he's such an amazing person. We're all so grateful to have him on the team. And he was, he was in from the beginning. Yes. Wow. That is, that is, that is, that is really cool. Anyway, back to milk money, because that also is a very fun idea for a show. So this is a young millennial mother, and this is her idea of uh, Laura Everly. She's the director creator of the show. And she was just like, you know, being a parent is rough. (laughs) 
<laughs> but Shelly always says, you know, Shelly, you you jump in because I'm always leaning into like, oh my gosh, this might be like the best birth control ever. But Shelly's <laughs> like, no, no, there's joy in having children. Having kids is the best thing ever. Yeah. So Laura's idea was like, how do we talk again to parents, you know, breaking through the, the world of, you know, we got to get real. Let's get real. Uh, but what I love about that show is how, well, actually all of our shows is so cool to go across the country and meet these real people who are so enterprising, like the workarounds that so many of these parents have. Uh, one of the families, uh, the Bond family in Texas actually moved to the country. They just pared down, got rid of their internet, got rid of their I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing what they did. Another parent, a single mother in Colorado, she had this really good hack of her, the way she calculates how much to spend is how many hours of work will it take her to buy that thing? Instead of looking at it, uh, you know, with the monetary value, how much of her time is it going to take? So they all had these just incredible hacks. And I think most importantly, a big takeaway was the idea that everybody is doing it, doing it in the way that works for them. But the most important thing is to know that you're not alone. There's, it is a challenge. And especially now with COVID, I think that a lot of people are hurting. And what's really amazing is that we have this platform that is free and people can go there and find people just like them who, you know, and there's resources that'll help them. There's it's really cool. Well, what I like about it, Lisa, there's so much hope. You know, you talk about being a young, a young parent. Cheryl and I were young parents with twins. And I remember those were some dark days sometimes that, that, that you didn't know about it. Now we, we look back and laugh, but, um, but there's so much hope. There also is a deeper dive attached to all the different shows where people can learn about budgeting or learn about something after they watch the video. Uh, Shelly, I'm not going to ask you which one's your favorite because I know they're all yours and Lisa's babies. But when you see the the finished products coming along, is there any show or any episode that's especially surprised you? I think in terms of being surprised um, on American Paycheck, one of the ones that really surprised me was the story of Irwin, Tennessee, because here was a town you know, that have been so hurt by the loss of their industry and see the innovation and the hopefulness that people came back to the town and the way they rebuilt the core of their city and engaged all the citizens uh, really meant a lot to me. And, and one of the things I love about all of the shows is that what we didn't want to do is be showing people looking like they're on Pinterest or on social media, showing off raising the bar to, you know, it used to be that you kept up with the Joneses and then social media changed it. So you keep up with the Kardashians, right? right? <laughs> and, and we wanted to fight against it because we want to make it real. And we want people to, we wanted to glamorize being normal and, and making good decisions. Lisa, I wanted to ask you too, putting this series together as a creator I listen to podcasts about how movies are made. I listen to podcasts about how TV shows are made. I know sometimes executives come back with just these horrible notes, right? This would be better if there were more things blowing up. Or this would be great if there was another car chase. Or maybe if we added a cat as a co-pilot, that would be good. What if we did it in outer space? Did the singletons have any of those types of notes where you had to go, yeah, I don't think so? 
Well, yeah, I think everybody faces that. And I think sometimes there were notes that were, you know, sometimes you, as a creator, the goal is to achieve the objective. I learned this working um, at DreamWorks. I've shared this story before. I had the good fortune of receiving notes from Jeffrey Katzenberg and not the, not the easiest audience. The biggest lesson I learned from that, and I apply it always, is understand the spirit of the note. So though maybe the suggested re, uh, fix might not be the thing that you want to do, or you think, oh boy, if I do that, then that's like a house of cards. It's just going to unravel everything. So for me, I've always just kind of listened to the note, understand kind of the underlying spirit of it. And then, okay, how can we, you know, skin the cat, as they say. But I got to say, what's been really fortunate for us is uh, the Singletons are actually very creative people. So they have great ideas. Their feedback is really solid. Same goes for Shelly. And, you know, it's it's been really a joy, to tell you the truth. And, and again, we're all very collaborative. So the cool thing is, is that everybody has that same attitude, which is, the creative is what matters the most. Leave your ego at the door. But well, my co-host OG though wanted me to pass along that the next show should have more car chases. I'm just, <laughs> just, just <laughs> forget that financial planning and car chases. You would be his big time heroes. Okay. Well, well, he needs to watch the Conrad Palmasano version. He's a stuntman. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I've already accomplished it. Tell him go watch the episode Car Chases Galore. There it is. Done, man. Thanks. But actually, very, very seriously, Shelly, you know, it's not all about car chases and it's not all. I mean, you're very serious about financial literacy. So people get done watching the videos. You also have a bunch of resources. Tell me about those. Right. So we have a full, robust library of resources. And what our hope is, is that the shows will inspire people to want to learn more. Maybe they'll see themselves or they'll see a friend or a situation they can relate to or have that moment where they go, oh my goodness, I really need to know about that. And so the idea is, is for them to click over to the resources. They're all nice, short lessons. There's videos, there's interactive, and really dive in and learn the things that they need to learn. And, you know, we can look and see, we tried to put together uh, with one of our partners, a really great collection of resources. And so people can, step through gradually and learn more and more. And one of the key things that we look at for measuring is to see how many people take advantage of the resources and then find them interesting and engaging and useful enough so they complete the classes. They're not really classes, but they're small interactive lessons. Yeah. And it feels like, I mean, I mentioned earlier the budgeting step, the deeper dive, each one comes with a deeper dive and they are, once again, light, but just another step, Shelly, it feels like just a little natural step deeper so you can actually take what you just saw and apply it right away. And I know using your own hands makes you then makes it stick. Yeah. And making it, it actionable is really important. So the hope is that people will see that this is not hard. It's not confusing. You do have to do the work, but if we can instill good financial habits in people and, and let them take control of their lives and get them interested in, in going to other resources that are deeper or reading books or doing the work, then we'll have accomplished what we set out to do. The series is called Million Stories. You can find it at millionstories.com. 
Shelly, Lisa, thanks a ton for spending a few minutes with us today. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for having us on. It's really a lot of fun. Hey, trivia nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And did you know that today is Orc Like a Dog Day? How ridiculous is that holiday? I don't want to dig myself a virtual hole or smell butts. That's just gross. But I can scratch up some good news. How about some dog-related trivia? The Westminster Dog Show makes one dog lots of money every year. What breed was this year's best in show? I'll be back with the winner right after I bark up some chow for lunch. Oh, man, maybe I am working like a dog. When it's time to go stack some Benjamins, I think you want to know what time it is. The guys behind today's sponsor, Vincero, are great examples of entrepreneurs who found their passion, went 100% in on it, OG, and had it pay off. You have to check out their watches and hear their story because both are truly amazing. It's funny, in a recent coaching meeting, we were talking about things that were important to me, and most of them were big, big things, but one that initially wouldn't seem like a big thing was wear a watch. Wearing a watch, to me, is... uh, is a big thing. I love watches and I haven't done it enough. And that's something that I'm getting back to. But as you know, finding a watch that's stylish, it's bold and built to last can cost you a ton of Benjamins. Well, Vincero Watches is changing that. They believe you deserve to look good and feel good no matter what your budget. They create exceptionally crafted watches and they do it without breaking the bank. The guys over on their team sent us a couple watches and I got to tell you, the timepieces are stunning. And they're offering you, because you're a stacker, 20% off your entire order. And they're going to cover all shipping costs. If you visit vincerowatches.com forward slash Benjamins, it's spelled V-I-N-C-E-R-O. It's vincerowatches.com forward slash Benjamins. And remember, we've talked a lot lately about leadership and about being somebody who's in front of people and being the best version of yourself extends all the way down to the way you dress. And this is something I didn't get in the past that I completely get now. And even if you're not like me, if you're not a watch guy, remember there's always going to be an occasion where you want to look polished. You want to look put together. If it's an interview, a networking event, conferences, even dates, anniversaries, or weddings, successful people are confident people. So make sure you have something that makes you look good and feel good so you can take on the day with your head high. You're going to find that Vincero has a style for every look, occasion, and price point. In fact, it was funny. Just earlier today, I was playing around with their watch selector feature. They just show you pictures. What's the occasion? How do you see yourself? What's your personal branding? Boom, boom, boom. Next thing you know, they're making a great watch recommendation. So with collections ranging from dress watches to sport watches, Vincero has a style for every look, occasion, and price point, and they're all under two Benjamins, 200 bucks. And that's why they have over 22,000 five-star reviews on their website. You can go read for yourself. So don't overpay for a watch that looks cheap and disappoints exclusively because you're a stacker. Vincero's offering 20% off their already affordable watches. Go to V-I-N-C-E-R-O watches.com forward slash Benjamins. And the coupon code Benjamins will be auto-applied at checkout. Don't you dare pay full price at checkout. Use our link to get the discount. That's a buy you won't regret. Hey, stackers, it's your favorite podcast host, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And I've been 
putting a lot of thought into this work like a dog holiday thing. I still think it's crazy, but I mean, chasing squirrels. By the way, did, did I, I tell you I might become a professional clown? Huh? Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry. Uh, back to the script here. Uh, chasing squirrels? Yeah. All right. Whatever. Uh, but I could go for some scratching behind my ears, and I am a big fan of long naps, so maybe it wouldn't be so bad after all being a dog. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll go get some practice, if you know what I mean. But first, I'll just drop this bone in your lap. Which breed was the best in show in this year's Westminster Dog Show? While lots of breeds compete in the competition, it was handler Crystal Murray's dog, Seba, that took home top honors. Seba just happens to be a standard poodle. Now there's a dog that knows how to bring home the Benjamins. It's time for me to get to work like a dog on nap time. See ya! Big thanks to Shelly and Lisa for hanging out with us for a few minutes. Oh, gee, this idea of starting off just by making it more fun. I know that a lot of uh, our friends out there are money nerds. And the one thing that scares the hell out of a non-money nerd is, hey, so let's talk about the Rule 72. Let's not. Yeah. Let's have some, have some nerdery time. Oh, can we talk about tax diversification? It's amazing. No. It's so awesome. Let's, let's we, probably not do that. Sharp ratios really get my blood boiling. <laughs> I've got some red wine and a sharp ratio. <laughs> is that your pickup line? Hard pass. That's right. That is. Yep. Hey, let's throw, out Dave and, <laughs> let's throw out Dave and Lifeline OG and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Tracking alpha and beta. Cha. On my on my spreadsheet. And modern every portfolio day. theory. Yep. Every day. It's actually your loved ones and your time and modern portfolio theory. Fine. I guess uh, that your own and the team at Haven Life missed modern portfolio theory in there. I got to talk to them about changing <laughs> this read. It's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple so you can spend more time with spreadsheets. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. Application is simple. It's online. You get an instant coverage decision. Prices are affordable. No waiting several weeks for a decision. Super customer support. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to our new friend, Seth. Say hi, Seth. Hello, Joe and OG. I have a good paying W-2 and an LLC for various side gigs. Most of my business over the last five years has been procuring products for governmental agencies. This work has dried up this year because of budgetary cuts, so I've not had any income coming in on the LLC side of things. I've accumulated some credit card debt under my LLC over the last few years. I had some credit card fraud hit my e-commerce website and I invested in a consultant coach that turned out to not be such a great coach. Anyhow, I always thought I would figure out how to make some money on the side to pay off this credit card debt and it's not happening. So I thought it would be best if I pay off this business credit card debt with my W-2 income. And I was asking to see if I should approach it just like I would personal debt, meaning pay off the highest interest rate credit cards first, which are under the LLC, and then tackle some uh, the remaining personal debt, which I don't have much left, a vehicle loan at 3% and a student loan at around 2%. The business credit cards are at 10 and 12% interest. Is this the right approach? Do you guys agree with this? Thanks for your help. I wear uh, extra large with the sleeves cut off. (laughs) 
he got I me immediately at the end pictured there. a mullet. <laughs> he got me at the end there. Seth, you got me yeah. at the end. Thanks, Seth, for the business question. Up front, party in the back. It's so frustrating when you create a business venture. And I want to start there first is that when you create a business venture, this is why people like the idea of bootstrapping it and doing it a little bit at a time so that you don't get into debt. And, um, mm-hmm. and the second that you're beholden to investors or to debt, something weird always hits your business. Like as an example, let's say that you run a podcast and a coronavirus hits and all your ad revenue dries up. Right at the same time that you're launching a new uh, distribution channel. Yeah. Switching you need over a bunch of money for advertising. Sw- switching over to a major network. Not like anything like that would happen. No, just I just mean, saying that whatever. theoretically, you know. If that's, it were going to happen, that's when it would happen. <laughs> that's That just comes out of the blue. Uh, that's weird stuff always seems to happen. And I think running the business, a lot like you run your personal money, makes sense. Keeping money in a reserve uh, mm-hmm. and not getting there in the first place. Now, that doesn't help Seth, though. Oh, gee. Uh, that helps everybody else. But for Seth. Yeah, you could have done this, Seth. That's what you should have done 10 years ago. Dummy. Hey, Seth, this is what I would have done. I wouldn't have had that problem. Yeah, I that's, wouldn't have had that problem. That, that, that would be. Kind of help that is. That'd be horrible. The, uh, the thing that came to mind here is if you've been running this truly as a business, you know, you've got a separate set of books and separate tax returns and that sort of thing. Before you start paying business debt with your personal money, it probably would be a good idea to chat with an accountant or a CPA real quick. And what popped in my head with this is, you know, obviously it's, it's business debt. However, it's going to be personally secured. So it's not like you can walk away from it, right? It's, it's, it's secured by your uh, social anyway. So you're going to have to pay it. But what I was thinking about was, I wonder if there's a tax way to do this that benefits you potentially in the future. For example, if you as an individual, if you were to as a individual provide capital to your business as like a shareholder contribution, if you will, or I don't want to say loan, but you know, raise capital as a business owner from you as an individual, I wonder if that has some impact on future taxability. And I would just want to make sure that you structure it correctly. I mean, short answer is absolutely pay it off the way that you would normally pay it off. I would go probably the highest interest first. If the balances are really similar, if you can knock one out, you know, maybe you do that if the interest rates are very close. But um, yeah, I would attack it the same way. But but I would look at this from the perspective of what benefit is there to me as a business owner? Because effectively, what are you doing? You're effectively borrowing the money from an individual to pay off this high interest debt. Could you do that as a shareholder contribution? And maybe you have some tax-free income in your back pocket there, you know, if the business ever takes off again. If it's just a thing that you're going to pay off and close out. Well, I don't know that I would worry too much about it at that point, but that's the only thing that popped in my head is that there's probably some tax advantages there that you could consider. Yeah. Nothing to add there except, uh, Seth, don't go wrecking all your t-shirts by cutting the sleeves off. That's how he gives everybody tickets to the gun show. Ah, gotcha. Gotcha. And now that I think about it, I should probably do the same. Sure. Yeah. Big thanks to Seth for calling in. You don't sell very many tickets though. Easy, man. I'm sitting right here. Big thanks to Seth for calling in. If you've got a question for us, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. Also, by the way, if you have a much bigger issue with your finances, namely 
that the year's half over and you're thinking, man, I finally should do something better with my money. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash OG. He and his team are taking new clients and uh, we'd be happy to meet with you and talk about how their team might interface with your team so that you move faster. That's going to do it for today. Lots of people to thank, but we're going to let Doug do it. What a great show. We're back here on Friday with another fun roundtable. Doug, but you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our guests, Shelly and Lisa. Want to get someone interested in money? Make it entertaining and engaging first. Once they realize this money thing is fun, they'll dive into the deeper stuff on their own terms. Second, take a lesson from our headlines. Thinking about throwing your value funds overboard? Everything reverts to the mean over time. Don't skew your portfolio too heavily toward today's hot thing. But the big takeaway? When Joe's mom heard it's work like a dog day, she said she'd throw me a bone and let me fetch the mail. Fetch! Boy, that sounds like fun. I'm starting to work like a dog already. Big thanks to Shelly Miles and Lisa Freeberg for stopping by. Want some more information on the videos in Million Stories World? Head to millionstories.com. For more on the Singleton Foundation, go to singletonfoundation.org. Or, better yet, if you can't remember, head over to our show notes page and we've got you covered with all the links at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is created by Joe Saul Cihai. Produced by Taylor Stevens and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I really thought doing these credits completely naked would have been a lot more fun than it actually was. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. You and I had the weirdest discussion a couple of days ago. I don't think we can talk about this one. <laughs> you sat here across from me. And, and the said, problems that you have with your manlyhood and <laughs> the medicine that you have to take just to get through the day. I mean, if you wanted this to be public, that's fine. Five, six blue pills never hurt anybody, pal. The uh, All at the same time. <laughs> the, you said to me, are you watching The Crown? And I thought, who the hell are you? Like what happened to the real OG? By the way, do you like the fact that I uh, gave Lisa the advice 
that uh, they should have some car chases in their financial literacy videos? It would help. I told them it would be explosions. It would get your interest so fast. Mm -hmm. Make the next show. I like historical stuff. I guess you can call it historical fiction, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff going on that happened with uh, actual history, but then they fill in the blanks with, you know, a made-up storyline. Sure. But um, but the real story here, much like I asked Shelley and Lisa about the behind the scenes of how they made their million stories videos, I want to hear how you sat down and turned on the crown. What do you mean? How's this, how's this like a drama? Doesn't seem like a, something, it, a historical drama is not in... I watched Grant. That's a that was a historical okay. Grant drama. Grant is totally OG. The Crown. If if you handed the Queen a machine gun, well, I'm waiting for it to happen. I'll be honest. And she had to save. And she certainly had to, sure she has a nuclear weapon somewhere that she needs to deploy or stopped from being deployed. Stop from being deployed. There's something something to do with the Russians. It's about to happen. I can feel she it. She has to send Prince Philip on an important mission. As long as it goes dun 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 I'm waiting for that guy to show up. I'm not going to spoil it for you. I'm not going to spoil it. Thank you. But seriously, did Mrs. OG say, hey, I want to watch The Crown. You want to watch it? Or were you sitting there and she turned it on and you're like, oh, this is actually pretty good? None of those things, actually. I sat down and watched it. Wow. Paula be excited. We got to talk about this when Paula pants with us on Friday. Well, yeah, she would like it because it's the royal family stuff. Well, let's talk about it. What it. So so you are on season one. By the way, this is The Crown that's on half. Netflix. Oh, you're on season two. Yeah. Gotcha. And uh, thoughts- About a third of the way through. Thoughts so far. Do you think that it was deserving of all the awards it won? I did not know it won any awards, so can't comment on that. Um, it's very even. You know what I mean? There's no- it doesn't seem like any any particular episode is much better or worse than the other. Like it just seems like it's a very very even uh, storyline. Like I said, I I enjoy the historical part of it, like the context of you know because I I know what happens right in in like yeah. world history, yeah. and so you just go, I wonder how they're going to do this. You know, the part that I'm on right now is now she just I don't know what the word is, but she basically just made Philip the, a prince. And like the whole part around how that transpired may or may not have been accurate, but it was an interesting like way for them to put it in there. There's a scene in the first season about like a real uh, foggy three or four day period. And, and it was it was so foggy that, um, you know, the, the coal burning and sulfur monoxide or sulfur dioxide, uh, you know, was hurting people and killing lots of people. And it was interesting to me because that was, it started on my mom's birthday, hmm. like when she was literally born that day. Just kind of interesting, interesting history. There's also a funny part in that scene where the, the woman is, one of the characters is helping her friend in the hospital. And she's talking to the doctor who's running around crazy. And she says, shouldn't we all just wear masks? And he's like, no, masks are just what the government wants us to wear to make us feel better. And I was like... <laughs> All right. <laughs> You're like, it is today. I swear it's today. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, how about John Lithgow as... Uh, I thought he did a great job. Winston Churchill. Isn't he great? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the King, King George at the beginning, you know, the comparison that I have, of course, to him is the King's speech, which is kind of set in a similar time frame. But even King George, they portrayed as, you know, how he was portrayed in the King's speech, which is, you know... Steady, but a little, 
brass and yeah and um you know whatever so it's interesting it's a good show like there's it. there's a scene from the crown that i think somebody in our facebook group brought up a few weeks ago uh that has a lot to do with effective money management and uh this is the queen getting some advice on how she should act from an elder member of her family it doesn't feel right as head of state to do nothing it is exactly right is it but surely doing nothing is no job at all to do nothing is the hardest job of all and it will take every ounce of energy that you have to be impartial is not natural not human people will always want you to smile or agree or frown and the minute you do you will have declared a position a point of view and that is the one thing as sovereign that you are not entitled to do i think that's funny how the beginning of that though is is just like the way you manage money the best thing to do is nothing. Precisely. Awesome. When everybody else is panicking, you mm -hmm. need to do nothing. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.